The following is a Sports Ethos presentation. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation. Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of Round Ball Ramble. I say edition, I say episode, it's all the same thing. I'm your host, Corbin Forge. Follow me on Twitter, at CorbinNBA. This is a Sports Ethos presentation, like the intro says. So, check out Sports Ethos online, at Sports Ethos, um, or on Twitter, at Sports Ethos online, SportsEthos.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the boys are back. I got my bro. It's been a minute. It's been a, a little bit of time, but he is back on a rude. We got to talk about the biggest fish just to happen, biggest news, the the biggest piece of NBA history, the Christian Wood trade. No, I'm just kidding. We got to talk, talk about that. We got to talk the Golden State Warriors. Before we even do that, though, on a rude, how you doing, bro? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm glad we're getting back here linking up on this. It's been a minute, um, but it's going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, so I mean, I'd be doing a little better if the Lakers had made the finals, you know, uh, and maybe not the Warriors. But you know what? The Warriors did, and the Warriors won, uh, beating the Boston Celtics in six games, with the final being a 103-90 victory for the Warriors. With that, the Warriors clinched the series four games to two. Steph Curry gets his long-awaited NBA Finals MVP award. He finished the game with 34 points, 7 rebounds, and 7 assists to cap a series in which he averaged 31.2 points, 6 rebounds, and 5 assists while shooting 43% from 3. This guy came early and often in Game 6 and now is part of an exclusive club with Finals MVPs. Here is the list of NBA players who have won 4 rings, 2 MVPs, and 1 Finals MVP. It's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's the newly appointed Steph Curry or anointed Steph Curry. It's Tim Duncan, LeBron James, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. Anarud, I'd say that's a pretty good group. Uh, what do you think about this series? Just your thoughts in general um, about how the Celtics came up, how the Warriors prevailed, uh, Andrew Wiggins. We'll talk about him in a second. But let, let's get your immediate takeaways. To be honest, this series felt really weird to me. <laughs> um, it always... Like, every game it would be, like, both teams would start off well, and then one team would just suddenly stop playing basketball and do some really dumb stuff. And both teams kind of fell to that pattern, like, throughout every game. Like, even this game, like, you have the Celtics get to this hot start, Warriors pick up their defense, it looks all good. And then by the third quarter, they start slowing it down a bit and being a bit careless with the ball having some turnovers, and defensively just not paying the same attention. Boston starts this run. So it was a weird series. But overall, like, I think the better team ended up winning the series, so I don't have any huge issues. I don't think there was some big colossal failure of Boston's part to win. Uh, but hopefully this dies down the idea that Steph is a finals choker, et cetera, all these bullshit narratives that tend to happen because of the dynasty years early on. So 
it's good to see this team win. Uh, they're a team that plays a really fun style of basketball. So it's interesting. I can agree with that completely. Um, yeah, it was a very weird series. Like you said, ebbs and flows of teams that, you know, did highly um, choreographed, really solid offenses with, you know, defenses that moved on a string that contained well and had, you know, several one-on-one defensive highlights. And then you had just pure anarchy from both teams where, where they kind of inexplicably decide to forget how to play the game of basketball. Uh, and like you said, we saw that from both teams. We saw the Warriors do it a lot in game one and some of game two. We saw the Celtics do it um, in later games specifically. But then also we saw elements of all of that from both teams throughout the series, like you even said, oftentimes in the very same game. So even today, you know, the Celtics played really well to start and the Warriors had to catch up. But once they did, it felt like the Celtics forgot how to run an NBA offense and continue to do so with careless turnovers right up until, I'd say, the end of the third, where you had Al Horford and Jalen Brown kind of key a little rally, and then the fourth quarter, they fell right back to their uh, misguided ways, it felt like. Yeah, I mean, the Celtics, like, we kind of knew since, like, they, ever since January, where they set, like, they really turned it up defensively. Their offense turned up as well, but a lot of it was just kind of getting in transition, getting some decent ball movement, but as a team, they don't really feature anyone who's like an elite playmaker, and there are two stars, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They don't really do the traditional things really well, so like, they're they're solid shooters, but they're not like elite shooters. Um, and when they get, like, Jalen Brown's good at getting to the rim, but he doesn't have the greatest handle. So he's prone to getting stripped, especially in traffic. And then Jason Tatum, he's not really good at driving all the way to the rim. He kind of just stops and pulls up for jumpers. So when you don't put pressure on the rim and you're not an elite shooter, it kind of becomes harder to generate really good offense, especially when you're not as good of a passer to where you can't punish other teams were sending help. So I thought the Warriors had a really good game plan for them. Uh, obviously, there were still some mishaps, but overall, I think they figured the, the Celtics out pretty well and were able to play them to their weaknesses. And you got you saw that a lot today, where Jalen Brown would be trying to get to the rim, but he'd be trying to bulldoze between two people, split the double, won't work, and there's just a lot of careless turnovers. Yeah, there was a lot of them. Like you said, Boston um, had 20, you know, by the time we entered the fourth quarter, really reckless with it, really careless. Golden State was as well, but Boston even more so. And that leads me to a question. Do you think, I saw this on Twitter a little bit being discussed, that the Celtics needed a point guard? Do you think, I mean, they were successful, you know, throughout the year uh, with Marcus Smart and, and, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum kind of being like the offensive facilitators by committee. But do you think come crunch time in these high leverage moments where you need to get into a set that um, it, it came back to bite Boston not having a steady floor general to really get them involved? Or is that an overstated kind of cliche at this point? I think it's a little bit both like having a table setter point whether it's a point guard I don't the position itself doesn't really matter like as long as it's a guy who's good at getting everyone set up is there that could help but then again it's like 
your two guys on their hands are the ones that need to really be your good playmakers. Like Jason Tatum is going to be the one driving downhill and facing the double teams, facing all this defensive attention. He needs to be the one who can make the right decisions. So sure. Like let's say you get a Tyus Jones on this team. Tyus can get them set up into a nice set, but the second he gives the ball to Jason Tatum, you still have the same problems. He needs to be the one who needs to get better at being able to read where the defense is coming from, make these tight passes. So I don't think having just a good point guard immediately solves that issue. It does make it slightly better. Like having an upgrade on Marcus Smart as a playmaker is going to be helpful. But until Tatum and Brown become elite playmakers, I think you're still going to struggle with the same issues. And that's something that we talked about before going in, not, not us specifically, although I'm sure we had conversations close to it. But if you talk about the Celtics, you talked about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, it was like, hey, they need to become better initiators, better ball passers, better ball handlers. You know, Coach Ima Udoka said that when he got hired, like, hey, I want to make these guys more facil- more of those facilitating hubs. And we, we saw that from the beginning. That's why they didn't really make a focus to grab a point guard in free agency. When they did get rid of Kemba Walker, and then they had Dennis Schroeder for only half the season. You know, you did see that, <laughs> that you did see that they were really trying to put more focus on Brown and Tatum. But I gotta say, I was disappointed by both of them come crunch time. Tatum had some really good games. I think in game one he had, or game two was it, he had 11 assists. I think it might have game game one, actually. Game one, he had 11 yeah, assists. Yeah, game like, one was the one where he didn't score well. And, yeah, uh, he didn't score well all like series. three for 11. <laughs> yeah. No, but I see what you mean. Exactly. It was like, the, exactly. He didn't score well, all, all, in my opinion, all series. Just really really kind of touch and go and the defense was really good on him but also he just wasn't knocking down shots but you said it the facilitation was there but Jalen Brown man the dude was I mean at one point at the, in this game in the closing minutes he almost twisted his ankle dribbling the ball down the court like just twisted his own ankle like four dribbles anything more than that it was an issue for him the ball was getting turned over kicked out of his hand ripped away and you could say the same thing for Tatum like these guys you could tell are still very much in the okay we dribble to set up our shot but we're not really dribbling around to probe the defense any more than to give us our opening a space for our midi to the rim for three when it comes to execute the pick and roll I was disappointed for the most part in both of them yeah you, you saw it today like the best passes that were made were usually from the bigs up top like there was that clean, there was yes. that Tatum hat to the rim, and Raw Will threw this gorgeous pass to him, and then Al Horford with the kickouts from the post. Like he had that one that was a turnover, but in general, like you saw, the bigs were really the ones who were making these clean, crisp passes. So it's going to be a problem for a while. Obviously, they've made strides. So and they're still really young, so it's not like it's going to haunt them forever. But this is an issue that they need to work on. Um, the other thing, though, is, like, their shot selection is pretty iffy at times. Like, Jalen Brown will take some occasional pull-ups that I'm not too worried about since he gets mm-hmm. to the ring quite often. His main thing is, let me drive downhill. I'm the best athlete out here, so I can get downhill on pretty much everyone, except Gary Payton second, apparently. Um, <laughs> Tatum, on the other hand, he kind of just settles for a lot of these jumpers where he just, you see it at times where like when Boston can get Tatum the ball while he's on the move, 
is really good and their offense is flying around. But when it's all stationary and decides to play up top, play like a heliocentric offensive star, things don't go well for Boston. No. No, you said it. And I guess that leads me looking at Boston. Is this just the fact that Brown is 25 and Tatum's 24, that there's still hope for this? I mean, there's still not hope, of course. There's still development for these guys to get there. Are they just not those kinds of players? And I think we can kind of form an example between that and another guy we're going to talk about, Andrew Wiggins. Um, where do you where do you kind of look at Brown and Tatum and not being who you expected them to be at this time, but potentially being able to be that in the future? Or is that just not the players they are and we're putting a round peg in the square hole? Yeah, I think, like, everyone talks about the rise of this heliocentricism, but there's really only, like, three players who've made it work and got in an elite offense out of it. LeBron, mm-hmm. James Harden, and Luka Doncic. That's it. No one else has made an elite offense yet. That's true. Uh, actually, Trey Young. Yeah, that's the other one. Forgot. Oh, forgot about him. Sorry. I see. Yeah. So... And the thing that, like, those four all have is they're all elite playmakers. So when you don't have that elite playmaking skill and everything's kind of dependent on your scoring and you're trying to get – you're basically trying to use your scoring gravity to generate the asset enemies. Well, we'll see Wiggins play one-on-one against Jason Tatum. They've obviously had uh, Draymond Green or – Von Looney step up and be ready to help, but yeah. when you have a guy like Andrew Wiggins who's athletic, has length to where he can play one, you kind of don't have that advantage. You're relying on being doubled or get them sending help to create passing opportunities for you. True, true, and it's that over alliance that comes to bite you, especially you know in crunch time or times of that ilk where. There, there isn't anything there, you know? Marcus Smart, I thought, played solidly, but at times, uh, especially when it came, like, crunch time, he spent way too much time trying to sell contact. Yeah, I felt like this, this was a weird game for Marcus Smart. Like, he had some really nice defense plays, but he was just trying to get into the post all the time with Steph or with, Poole on him. Without having and, any, yeah. And it wasn't really clean looks either. It was kind of just forcing up a shot, trying to get the contact. So the team, like, obviously Boston, this was a great run from them. No one really saw them being in the finals at the beginning of the year. Uh, Obviously, things changed by the middle of the year when they turned into this elite team. So it will be interesting to see how they go on from here. Uh, Rob Will looked awesome just as a defensive beast. Mm-hmm. If I have to see Jordan Poole take a, try to take a three over Rob Williams. Oh, that was again, gorgeous. That block. Like, he's already blocked your shot like three times. Why are you doing this again? That block was gorgeous. Absolutely. And then oh, Al Horford. Man. Man. Al Horford, finals MVP for me. Just I was going to say. Going, going to it. Well, who was your? We we know that um, we know that Steph Curry won, and rightfully so. I talked on my on my pod uh, on my show here a couple days ago that I thought, although he wasn't going to win, and I didn't think he necessarily should win, 
but I thought an argument could be made for Andrew Wiggins. This 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 playoffs, but this final specifically, and and, and winning in very much the way that Andre Iguodala won his MVP in 2015, just being a main like deterrent to the primary offensive weapon, being one guy who gave you consistent, steady performances on the offensive end, and just did his role really well, and was by definition the most viable player if Stephen Wardell Curry did not exist. <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought Steph was a clear Finals MVP winner. Uh, for the Warriors, I thought Andrew Wiggins was a close second. Uh, I actually like his case a lot more than uh, uh, Iguodala's that year, just because I thought Wiggins brought in his own offense as well. Like, Iguodala could score it a bit, but it wasn't mm. obviously to the level of Wiggins. No. And even when he wasn't scoring, like Wiggins was hustling for every rebound. Like he had those two crazy games where it was just him battling. So I like Wiggins uh, from the Boston side. Like if I had to pick, obviously I love Al Horford, and I think he was just huge series and playoffs in general. But I might have to give it to Jalen Brown if I had to pick a Celtic. Like, I don't think Tatum played particularly well this series. Mm-hmm. And I thought Brown, like, Brown was the one trying to get them back to the game whenever yeah. they were down. 29 at, yeah. at one point, yeah. And, 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 and Jalen Brown, man, I mean, I did not like the way that he played It's in crunch time when it came to facilitating. But when it came to, like, you know, just being consistent in terms of putting on a, a good showing or doing his best in that in that front, um, he came through. And especially in a game where, in a series where we know Tatum did not. Uh, 44 minutes, 34.7 rebounds for Brown in this one. Yeah. But overall, like, I think the clear answer is obviously Steph. Steph was by far the best player in the series, had the biggest impact on the series. And I thought it was interesting the way Boston chose to defend him. Like the first few games, Boston decided, hey, Steph, we're we're not going to double you. We're not going to throw these traps. We're going to treat you like every other superstar, which no team had really ever done. Like every team that you could think of, like Cleveland, Toronto, they all just sent constant pressure to Steph. And it was basically make everyone else beat you. Problem with that is the Warriors have built a system on everyone knows how to play without Steph having such small. Mm. So I thought Boston could have stuck to that style a little more. And it kind of happened like there'll be these games where like teams will say, like, okay, we, we're going to make one guy just beat us. And if that guy scores a bunch, regardless of if it's a win or a loss, sometimes just a psychological effect of seeing like player X has 40 points yeah, can make you start to change. Uh, I thought this happened in the Suns series, quite, quite honestly. Like games one and two, the Suns basically said, hey, Luca, beat us. And he scored a lot. Mavs didn't win, mm-hmm. but he scored so much that it kind of felt like the Suns were saying, yeah, we can't let that happen anymore, and we're just going to slowly adjust and put pressure on the other guys. So, I agree. I think you're right about that. The idea behind it, the the, the method mythology um, behind attacking that way. 
Yeah. So obviously I think like Boston could have changed some things that might've been able to pull off the series, but overall this was a good series. Um, obviously yeah. some people will be complaining about the results, but I don't think there's anything super controversial about the series. No, I guess before we close out this series, is there any player historically that you now have moved up, down, uh, based off of this finals performance? Like Steph Curry, obviously, I imagine he's still around my. He's just still in my top ten. Um, he hasn't moved up another level, um, but he is still there. But like, is there any player? Do you look at Andrew Wiggins differently now historically? Is there any player whose like performance in this finals has made you go, you know what? Wow, I'm totally like. I'm this guy's. Di- I'm different. On, I feel different on this guy, for better or worse. Not really. Like historically, like Andrew Wiggins is the factor in. So, like my assessment of the greatest players. So. No. Uh, yeah. No. I just meant like overall basketball thoughts. Yeah. No. Oh, I know. Okay. I know. I so, didn't mean. <laughs> I didn't mean um, putting him in like um, like um, like the greatest of all time. No. I just meant like. Like, for example, out of the series, do you go, you know, Marcus Smart is just not a point guard. Do you know what I mean? Or um, Jalen Brown, man, he's, he's going to just be a uh, B. Like, is there any, like, grand revelation that you've taken from this series for any player in terms of how you feel about them? I think from this series specifically, like, Andrew Wiggins, as a real versatile wing, is, like, to me, is, like, at the top of the league right now in terms of just this role-playing wing who can get you a bucket, can defend the opposing wing and play hard on defense, crash the board. Like, I think Wiggins has really shown himself to be up there with the uh, Mikhail Bridges of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Not that Gary Payton second. Yeah. And yeah, like, this was kind of like, obviously, Wiggins, when he got drafted, he was seen to be something completely different. Uh, but he's found a nice role here. And hopefully he can thrive in it for the next couple of years. But aside from him, like Steph, I mean, I never really had any doubts about Steph. Like, I don't know if he moves into my top 10, but it's really just because like my top 10 is really like 15 guys that I trade off every day. (laughs) So uh, he's like in that top tier of player for me. Um, whether he like surpasses Magic as the greatest point guard of all time, I think it's a debate. Uh, I don't really have any real position on it. Um, Clay Thompson, I don't think this was really a good final from him. Um, obviously, he's coming back from the injury, so we'll have to see how he looks next year. But he hasn't really looked the same. And then Draymond Green, just you could tell his value when he started playing well, like the Warriors are a completely different beast. Yeah, I agree. One, again, the impact of Draymond more than what shows on the stat sheet. You know, him turning the sagging defense consistently into open shots for his shooters. You know, whether that was uh, Steph, Clay, Jordan Poole, that was crazy to see him do again and again and again. So his value there, you're right, is more than the 8 to 12 points, 4 rebounds. You can tell when you watch Draymond, numbers be doggone how effective he's been on the court, you know, how important he's been on the team. Um, they're bigger than the box score, but you just got to watch the game to see that. And then as far as um, Clay Thompson, yeah, you're right. We definitely didn't get a game six Clay performance. That's for sure. But for him to come back through the fight, you know, and continue to get 
these Warriors, um, you know, I mean, the way he's been able to come back in from injury, you know, first year back and winning another ring, like, that's wild, you know? Um, and then, yeah, I, I'm with you as far as just the Warriors. I mean, they finally managed, they didn't finally, but they managed to bridge a gap between having, you know, their older core, having these younger guys coming up in the wings and just kind of going from there. Like, that's pretty dope, and we'll see um, if they're able to continue that next year and kind of project where they can go. We have a long offseason ahead now, but we can kind of look and see, you know, what, draft next week, free agency um, the week after. We can kind of begin to look at how these teams are going to take form and then go from there. Yeah, it's going to be a fun offseason. Absolutely. And you know what? That's a great transition to the first offseason action that we had. So I already broke down the first official uh, news that broke the first official trade um, between the Denver Nuggets and the Oklahoma City Thunder, but we had an actual trade uh, yesterday, or two days ago by the time people listen to this. The Dallas Mavericks acquired Christian Wood from the Houston Rockets for basically the 26th pick in this year's draft, but also four players, those four players being Boban Marjanovic, Marquise Chris, Trey Burke, and Sterling Brown. Um, so they have some more, um, so now Dallas has some more roster flexibility in addition to having a productive big man. And sources said that Houston motivates to move Wood because the Rockets want to open up playing time for 2021 first rounder Alperin Shangun and likely the number three overall pick who's going to be one of either Jabari Smith Jr., Chet Holmgren, um, Chet Holmgren or Paulo Bancaro. And the Rockets pounce on opportunity to acquire a first round pick, uh, without taking any long-term salary. Meanwhile, Dallas gets an upgraded center uh, with Wood, who is still somehow just 26, who averaged 19 points and 9.9 rebounds during his two seasons with the Rockets. Now, he is due to make $14.3 million this year, but this is the final year of his contract. So with all the numbers and facts being stated, let's get the analysis, give it back to Anarud, our resident Dallas Maverick fan um, expert. What do you think about this trade uh, from both sides, but obviously starting at Dallas? Yeah, I think it was a pretty low-risk move that I like. So one of the problems that Dallas was going to have this year was that they had too many players. You had 12 guaranteed contracts and then two additional non-guaranteed ones in Max Lima and Frank Melkina, who I think you kind of have to exercise our options and guarantee at this point. So you're going to have too many players and you needed a way to cut them down. Uh and Dallas was able to do that. You took four players who I love Boban and I will miss Boban, but four players who weren't playing in your playoff rotation. And you got a guy who's probably going to be your starting center and is a meaningful upgrade over your other center option, like Hell. So, from a roster standpoint, I think it makes perfect sense. As for what Christian Wood can bring, he's a 6'10 power forward center big man who can be a good pick and pop threat as well as a really good pick and roll threat. And the questions are really about his defense, but I think one, he's never really played on a winning team before. So how does being on a winning situation help elevate his defense? And the two, like Jason Kidd and Sean Sweeney have shown to be able to create a good defensive scheme regardless of, who's on the floor. So I think the defense won't suffer too much with Christian Wood in there. I think they'll figure out a way to make it work. So 
you're getting Christian Wood, who's basically what Maxi Kleba combined with Dwight Powell theoretically is. Maybe not as good defensively, but he's a really good rebounder. He could take really high volume shots behind the arc. And he even has flashed some like self creation with the Rockets. So in the short roll, he shows some passing. In the post, he shows the ability to post up mismatches, score or pass out of there. Um, so he has this ability to create shots for others. And when you're playing with Luca, who will generate wide open looks whenever he's on the floor, having teammates who can attack closeout, score from deep post positioning, or take these late clock pull up jumpers, just elevates. Dallas's offense. So I think this is a really good trade. If it works out, great. If it doesn't, it's the last year of a deal anyway. So Dallas won't have lost too much. And then from the Rockets' perspective, any of the Mavericks you think is going to make an impact there? I know it's the return of Sterling Brown to Houston um, after a one-year stint there. Um, but aside from that, I mean, Boban is still in Texas, right? Look, I'm just trying to find ways to get Boban back to Dallas at this point. Theoretically, like, if Houston Rockets trade Boban and then he gets waived, Dallas can sign him again. So I'm hoping Nico put in some, like, secret requirement that that has to happen. But, yeah, I don't see any of these guys really playing for the Rockets. Uh, Maybe Marquise Chris is, like, a backup five, but – they're going to probably end up picking one of the bigs in the draft, and they have Alpern Jingun, so and they have Usman Gruba, so maybe Marquise Chris stays, but I don't know. They, they kind of have their roster set at this point. Oh, I forgot. It's the return of Marquise Chris as well, isn't it? Yeah. Was he on the Rockets? He was. Huh. Um, I remember on the Suns and the yeah, Warriors for a brief stint. I feel like, let me look just to be sure, but I'm pretty sure he was on the Rockets already. Yeah, he was. Um, he spent the 2018-2019 season there. He was traded. Um, okay. In fact, he was traded from the Suns uh, alongside Brandon Knight to the Rockets for Ryan Anderson to Anthony Melton. Um, and then they declined his $4 million option for the 2019-2020 season on that uh, rookie contract. And that's actually made him a free agent in the first place. So, wow. Return to Houston. I'm sure it's going to be happy welcomes there. Yeah, they think he's actually having surgery, so we'll be playing for a while. So it'll be interesting to see what Houston does. But obviously the main thing for them was getting another first-round pick. I didn't know who else was going to give them a first-round pick for Christian Wood. Um, maybe Charlotte could have, but... Yeah, that I was about it. I think surprised that this is all it took to get Christian Wood. But then again... Houston probably just wants to create space for their future draft pick. So, whoever yeah. it is, Paulo, Chet, Jabari. Yeah, I feel like his value. Yeah, I feel like his value is just low, though. He's a talented player, but defensively doesn't really do anything. There had already been reports of friction in Houston. Like, you give yourself a rep like that, and it's like teams aren't going to want to fork over real value for you, even if you are averaging, you know, 19 and 9, which by all accounts, is good numbers, you know? It's just like, okay, yeah, but you're a troublemaker. You haven't been on a winning team. You haven't shown the maturity yet. Like, I think these are real issues that come up, you know? 
yeah, he's had these, like, there was that one game suspension he had for not checking back into a game with the Rockets. Mm-hmm. There have been a bit of these personality issues. So I'm hoping being in a winning culture can solve some of these issues. One of the biggest things for Dallas this year was just their chemistry and everyone knowing their role and have there being no real blow-ups within the locker room. So hopefully he won't change that. If he does, I anticipate we'll fix him and get him straight. But the other thing is like Sean Sweeney was a uh, defensive coordinator yeah. in Detroit that last year of Christian Wood. So I'm assuming he had to have signed off on this and said that, like, I trust this guy. He can come into play. Otherwise, I don't think Dallas would have taken a big risk on a guy who's been a personality issue. I see what you mean. Maybe, like, they have a, 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 a wood whisperer or something. Yeah. That's an interesting theory. Yeah, I could – I mean, you have to think that there was some level of sign-on beyond more than, okay, low-risk, high-reward potential. I'm sure there was some element of that there as well, but definitely something interesting. I think we expect more trades to happen here. In fact, we kind of transition more to the draft. Are there any teams that you see making moves on a route, like in terms of the trade market, uh, before or during this draft se- during this draft day? Uh, of course, we have till next week before the draft kicks off. It's Sacramento. Um, I like them too for that. I just kind of don't know what they want what they want to do. Um, Right now, the assumption is that the three bigs go in some order, one through three. But mm-hmm. assuming someone takes a Jaden Ivy, for instance, and one of the bigs fall, like I don't like I think Chet can fit with Sabonis, but none of the other bigs could really fit Sabonis that well. True. So it'll be interesting to see what Sacramento does. I could see them trading down get an additional pick or potentially training up if they really want Chet. Mm-hmm. That's, that'd be interesting. I, and I guess let's, let's kind of go. I mean, we'll have one more team I'd like to bring up and that is um, the Portland Trailblazers. Like getting the seventh pick, obviously when you're trying to retool around in, uh, Damian Lillard is not ideal. So in my mind, maybe you take that pick. Can you get uh, a Josh, uh, a John, a John Collins for that type? I definitely don't know, but I know for a fact I wouldn't want to do it for a Jeremy Grant. I feel like he is not worth that pick in terms of value. Um, but, like, I feel like you got to package that pick for a more win-now player if you are indeed intending to retool around Dame Lillard. If you're trying to do the rebuild, then no. Take the seventh pick, bring back Anthony Simons, you know, charge your course there. Maybe you drive a, a Jalen Duran or a player of that ilk that can help you move forward, setting the ground for the setting the grounds for the next great Blazers squad. But like, I feel like either way, a move has to be made given the direction the Blazers are intending to go. Yeah. Blazers. You've been hearing a lot about them wanting to fill that four spot, whether it is a, um, someone like John Collins or potentially even DeAndre Ayn, if they want to move a Nurkic, there could be a lot done with that pick, but, Portland's just kind of this weird spot where they want to try competing, but they should probably be moving on from Willard at this point. I agree. I think this is getting to that point where 
Lillard is going to be at 33 coming up. I mean, the injury notwithstanding, like, defensively, he's not going to get any better. And he's shown, you know, is he going to be, is he able to be the offensive hub to your team? Yes, but he needs more. And the way the roster's constructed, the way it's been constructed, you had CJ before, and that got you to a certain point, but you just don't have enough. And I don't think you're going to get enough in this offseason as well. So I think, I think you're right. Yeah, I think the Wizards or another candidate to potentially move up uh, just because they need a major talent infusion. Yeah, I agree. Do you think they should be bringing back Bradley Beal for the money that they're going to be bringing back Bradley Beal for? Absolutely not. But if we're being honest, the most likely situation is probably that Bradley Beal stays there, gets the contract. Which I feel is ridiculous because if he's not the guy to carry you, and I think at best he's a B option, why make that financial commitment? Just move forward or sign and trade him or just say, hey, we're going to give you your money and then we're going to find a trading partner for you because we don't feel like this is the spot where you're going to lead us to. He's not. I mean, his three-point shooting has been something the last couple of years. His injuries have only increased. He's going to be entering his 30s here very, very soon. And he has not shown that he is capable of being uh, the type of, of a franchise leader that he should be. And the thing is, like, the Wizards just went through this with John Wall. Like, do you really want to go through this again? Exactly. And I would hate for them to be hamstrung themselves to this again, but it seems like they're going to do it. And think about it. By the time he gets that contract, a like, year or two in, he'll be John Wall's age, just 31. Yeah. It has potential to be turned into a really bad contract quickly. It really does. It really does. So we'll see whether or not that happens but i don't know man i think i think we're gonna see a little bit of fireworks here i'm hoping we get one or two crazy trade i think dallas might have something still left uh they have berton's contract they have dinwiddie they had dwight powell and expired like i could anticipate there being another move being made it definitely could. I'm, I'm looking at guys, so I think it's like, okay. Like, okay, let me actually get your thoughts on one guy. Restricted free agency. DeAndre Ayton, what are we thinking? I don't know. Like, if I'm the Suns, like, just bring him back at this point. You don't have a way to replace him. And he's one of your best assets. Like, I know this playoffs were a good look for him, but... DeAndre Aiden is still like a really talented player, so it's gonna suck giving him the max, but I probably just do it at this point. I mean, Chris Paul said they were he was gonna give him the bag. I think that's his biggest disappointment in his whole career. Not playing. <laughs> his biggest yeah, disappointment in his whole career is not giving him the max. And the thing is like what teams do have cap space like Detroit? They could max, give him max offer, and Suns probably would match it just because, like, I know you can bring in any big with Chris Paul and turn him into a great pick and roll pick. Like we yeah, saw with Javale McGee, McGee, Bismack Biombo, any any random center really looks amazing. DeAndre Jordan, Lugas career post Chris Paul experience. Yeah, so like. Theoretically, you can get away with it, but DeAndre Aiden's so young and he has a lot of room to grow. Like at this point, I'd just rather keep him. I get you on that. 
is that something that you expect ownership to do, given what you have heard and know about the Phoenix Suns in their front office and the mess that they are? I have no clue what to think of that for team right now. <laughs> Ever since they lost, I think that team is in disarray right now. Yeah, they're clearly struggling. I think we can all agree on that. I wonder if they will snap out of that in time, though, you know? Or will it be something that fractures them? Because they do lose um, DeAndre Ayton. They really don't have a way to, to replace that. Yeah, like, like, I know they lost pretty badly this year, but, like, a core of Booker, <coughs> Ayton, Bridges, Cam Johnson, that's a really good young core to have. And that's a core that, like, if you just fill in some nice pieces around there, like, that should be a good playoff team every year. So I wouldn't overreact too much to this year. Um, I'd probably just pay them. The one that bothers me is, like, the Landry Shamit contract. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, that was – I don't know, man. The Suns are weird where they decided to throw out their money. It was one thing giving it to um, – it was one thing giving it to – um you know, um, Mikhail Bridges. Bridges, but yeah, I'm just, I don't know. And Shaman's like been cursed. Like every team he goes to is like got eliminated pretty quickly. I'm sorry. Landry Shamit has like some curse on him. Yeah. I, every time he's around people, I don't know. You're right. I just, uh, I don't know. It is pretty sad. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's lost a in decent game seven every time. Huh? Thing is like lost in a game seven every time. Yeah, yeah. It's and, and, every and, team he's gone to in horrific fashion too. Yeah, in horrific it's, fashion too. It's 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 a shame, man. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh man, but um, I meant to ask you before we let you go here. We're gonna what I decided to do, we're gonna do another episode, hopefully I'm I'm just saying this here and hoping you say yes, to dive more into draft prospects, your big board thoughts like that. Think that sounds good? Yeah. I'm down. Bring you back. Awesome. Well before that that sets up a great show because we do have that to go into with the draft next week and I need to get all the guys I can get and all the experts I can get here on the draft to kind of have this conversation. But before we end up for tonight, what was your what's been your like biggest you, any final thoughts? Could be about the finals. Could be about. Um, could be about. What are your final thoughts on the finals? On the off season of finally arriving, just in general. I think this playoffs has shown something pretty interesting. Like John Halger wrote a piece on this in the Athletic, but uh, he called it spaceball. But like, just the idea of like, the Warriors were kind of the first team to really do this, where you they spread you out, play five out, but. You saw two teams do this this year. And it also kind of like started with the Clippers last year to the Jazz. Like, just spread out, shoot way more threes than the opponent and limit how many threes your opponent takes. And regardless of how good defensively their center is, it's just hard to stop. Like, they did Gobert struggled with it. DeAndre Ayn struggled with it. I think Embiid struggles with, like, basically every center, even if they're, like, elite defensively will struggle with a team that can play five out. So if you see, I think you're going to start seeing more teams try to replicate that style. The Clippers put the blueprint out there. of How do you just beat a generic team with a good center? So it'll be interesting. 
I agree with that. I agree with that. I think it's certainly going to be something to kind of monitor moving forward. I think for me, listen, off season's here. You know what I mean? Off season's here. I am excited. Like, to how kinda... happy can you be on the off season? Like, don't you guys get rumors about the Lakers every day? That every day I go on Twitter and I see, let's trade Austin Reeves and Russell Westbrook for Joel and B. Like some stupid trade packages. Like, at what point can you really be excited? You know what? I mean, <laughs> you, we can find hope. As long as you got LeBron James, you have a chance, right? At least the idea, the, the mindset about the franchise that you want to compete. Now, I'm not sure how it happens. I've read uh, quite a few offseason previews on Lakers, and it's not pretty. Like, it's not pretty at all. I haven't gotten a chance to ask you. What's your thoughts about the new Darvin Ham hire? I like it. I like it. I think that he is somebody that, I mean, when he said, you know, um, facts over feelings, I was like, yes, yes, this is what we need. This is what we need right now. And I like the fact that he's coming um, at it from a perspective, okay, that y'all need to buy in and commit. And he's a fresh he's a fresh face. One who has the full back in management, which is something I wish Frank Vogel had had, but it is what it is. Um, and hopefully we we'll demand the respect of the locker room. So do you think Russell Westbrook is long for the ride? I, I do. Okay. I do. I thought... At first, maybe not because we'll see what happens. With Joe there's Lakers. a trade, or yeah, it was going to be an interesting team this year. They will. There was even a rumor I heard that they might. Um, oh, can you hear me? Hello. Yeah. Okay, good. I don't know what was happening there. There was even a rumor at one point that um, they might offer Russ and the twenty-seven, twenty-nine first rounders for. Um, and I don't know how valid this, this, this rumor was, obviously, I don't think it was very valid, but, uh, Russ and the two first rounders for Bradley Beal. Yeah. Wizards would laugh at you. you (laughs) (laughs) We give you an all time legend and you give up. No, I agree. I agree. There's no, there's no, yeah, I completely agree. Okay. I have to ask this, like, from there was a stupid debate on ESPN the other day where they were like, is Anthony Davis healthy, a top seven player? Okay, what are your thoughts on this? Because Is he a top seven player, if healthy? Yeah. Ah, uh, no. Okay. No, he's not. Um, Because some people at ESPN were saying he's better than Jokic, which... No, and I mean, listen, I'm, I'm a biggest Lakers stand out there. Giannis, Durant, LeBron, Curry, Jokic, Doncic, Embiid, then maybe Tatum, then maybe Anthony Davis. So right now, just yeah. outside the top 10. But yep. we've saw Giannis have his moments this season, boom. We saw Durant, boom. LeBron, boom. Curry, yes. Jokic, of course. Doncic, yes. Embiid, Tatum, uh, Jimmy Butler also played solid. We haven't even seen Kawhi yet. I mean, that that's a few people there. Jimmy Butler has, like, an argument of being the best player in the playoffs this year. Like, that man was on a mission. He does. He definitely does. And he was on one. He played really well. Despite the fact the guy can't reliably shoot a three, he's still really, really solid. And, and, and it showed. If his, whole team, and if his whole team hadn't fallen apart, you know? Yeah, that's going to be an interesting coming up. What do they do? Huh? 
that one's going to be an interesting team. What do they do going forward? Yep, I don't with do. Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. Yeah, man, it's just I don't know. I have no clue. That's going to be a fun kind of. Um, that's going to be a fun off season to recap or even preview. Although preview might not be that cool because I feel like whatever they do, we're not going to know. Yeah, at this point, it's probably just wait for it to happen. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be something that just happens and we react to it. So we will definitely see how it goes. But, yeah, man, I'm not going to take up too much of your time or our listeners. This has been a blast. We're going to have you back on the route, so I'm definitely pumped about that. Um, But, yeah, man, uh, they can find you on this show, right? Yep. There it is. It's going to be here at some point. There I was going to come back at some point, so. <laughs> the return is here. I got the facts um, like Michael Jordan in 95. All right, and I was like, here we are. Honorood <laughs> is back, baby. <laughs> All right, well, man, listen, thank you for coming on. I do appreciate you um, rocking with me here, man, as always. And we'll get back up here real soon with the draft. All right, sounds good. All right, y'all, you can find me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Definitely make sure to do that. And listen, until next time, y'all, I am Frosty on the Roots Frosty. Y'all stay frosty, and I'll talk to y'all real, real soon. All right, y'all. This has been a Sports Ethos presentation.